from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. I'm Adam Mertz, Associate Manager for CUNA's Credit Union Magazine. Today's guest is John Ainsworth, who in mid-December assumed the role of President and CEO of CU Ledger, a credit union industry initiative that is developing innovative applications of distributed ledger technology. For more than two decades, first at Visa, then at MasterCard, Ainsworth has worked at the intersection of credit unions and technology. His professional and personal background has shaped his commitment to developing technology expressly to improve the member experience. I recently spoke by phone with Ainsworth during his first week on the job at CU Ledger. John, before we get into your background and the path ahead for CU Ledger, I was thinking it'd be valuable to do a, a level set because blockchain is probably a bit of a mystery to many of our listeners. If you could give us a quick overview of distributed ledger technology and how it undergirds CU Ledger. Sure. Well, I think, you know, in terms of what is blockchain, I mean, obviously, um, it's most noted for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but it's actually most, um, you know, a lot more than that. Um, it's really kind of a whole suite of technologies, if you would. And what it really is, is a network basically of computers that basically agree on a, um, a set of data or information and in a distributed fashion. That's where we come up with distributed ledger. So as opposed to a centralized source of information in one database, if you would, it's actually a series of different databases that actually communicate with each other, um, and that's the chain definition. So at its most simplest um, definition, that's basically what is a connected source of, um, as we call it, nodes, if you would, but of information or data sources that are actually in a distributed fashion. And in terms of you know, sort of a defense mechanism, it's it's kind of a paradigm shift, isn't it? I, I've heard John Best describe this as, you know, we used to build a moat around our information, whereas uh, blockchain is sharing information so that there's a multi-factor identification through a lot of different systems to um, develop a trust factor that way. Absolutely. So if you think of the sense of the most recent Equifax breach, you know, that is a classic case of a tremendous amount of data on a tremendous amount of number of individuals that's stored in a centralized database. In this sense, because it's distributed, um, it's actually across um, almost an endless, um, if you would, number of actual data sources. Um, so part of the actual benefit is the fact that it, it is open. That doesn't mean that it's basically, you know, wide open and access to anybody. I mean, there, there are conditions and boundaries around it. But the sense that it's actually open and in multiple sources within a community actually makes it um, more safe than if it were just in one central database that would be subject to intrusion. You know, and one last setup question then in terms of what blockchain is or isn't. I thought it was an interesting point that you made that blockchain is a protocol, not a product. Uh, how important is that? to make that differentiation for people to understand what this is? It's critical um, because, you know, and I equate it somewhat with in, in my former payments world with EMV, people would think, you know, EMV was actually a product and they would interchange that with chip card. And so in this sense, blockchain is a protocol and is very often exchanged either with distributed ledger, which is a technology, or Bitcoin, which, you know, would actually be a product use case of cryptocurrency. Uh, the importance of blockchain as a protocol 
really symbolizes the fact of it being open and available to a number of different industries and a number of different use cases. And that's why you see evidence of current use cases, be it you know Walmart, who is purchasing pork from China, um, or the recent announcement this week with Citibank using distributed ledger technology on blockchain for uh, back office, um, you know, accounting and so forth. The fact that it's a protocol really allows for wide adoption across a number of different use cases. I'm sure seeing those use cases that that allows you to explain this a lot better, to people, when you can point to something, you know, concrete rather than the abstract uh, thought of what blockchain is. Absolutely. It's like trying to describe what the Internet is. I equate it somewhat into Apple world where, you know, trying to um, describe the iOS operating system versus the actual apps that you might use, you know, be it music or whatever. Um, Very similar conceptually um, in the digital world, you know, blockchain being the protocol, you know, using the analogy of iOS and then the nodes actually being more of the analogy of actual, um, you know, apps, if you would. And uh, you, you mentioned that you've had a you know, long association with technology and, and credit unions, um, have the, the about a dozen years each at Visa and, and MasterCard. What about this position with CU Ledger appealed to you at this point in time? A couple of factors. One, if I look at the emergence of technology, you know, as you mentioned, when we started in, you know, in my world in payments, it was really about the old, uh, we called them zip zaps, right? So the old machines where you had a piece of paper that you actually took a physical imprint and deposited with the financial institution. You know, now in the land of, of mobile commerce and the evolution, and then moving into the Internet of Things. And if I look at the next five years to 10 years, you know, we're going to see more innovation than we've actually seen in the last 50 years. Um, so in my view, this is kind of the last frontier. Um, so just being, you know, having a thirst for uh, emerging technology, um, this is certainly a fascinating time. So, so the technology itself was one. As it relates to credit unions, I really see kind of a critical um, inflection point. Um, you know, credit unions become more challenged in staying in touch with their members, and the member expectations of how they want to interact with credit unions just keeps expanding. And if you think about, you know, again, the Internet of Things with connected cars and connected refrigerators and everything that's going to be in my day of life, a way of wanting to connect with my credit union, you know, the technology implications of that are are fairly significant. Um, so for me, this is actually a chance to, um, you know, kind of provide a unique opportunity that really could pull the credit union industry together again, making sure that, you know, they stay relevant and kind of that next digital um, wave that's coming. I don't know if you come in with a specific mandate, you know, as, as the new leader, or, or if it's better to phrase it as, what is your vision for what you want to accomplish? Um, walk me through, you know, sort of what is on your radar right now about where you want to take CU Ledger? Sure. Um, well, from a background standpoint, I think it's important from an educational um, standpoint. You know, this started a couple of years ago, uh, really trying to validate that there was a beneficial use case within the credit union industry. And so, you know, part of the mandate, as you say, is now that that um, proof of concept actually has been substantiated, um, the first, you know, kind of um, mission of order is actually execution. So making sure we can actually show not only does it work, but it actually has an economic benefit of taking out, you know, both, um, you know, fraud and expense out of the system, but equally important of making the member experience actually better uh, when they actually have an engagement with, with a call center person. So that's kind of the first state of order. Um, following that is the extended use cases. So, you know, I'll call this authentication being the first one. Uh, but the second and third use case is really around smart contracts and then payments being more specifically cross-border. Um, so I call that more near time. 
But if you look at the future and the broader vision, and this was equally what was uh, appealing to me about the opportunity, it's really about digital. And, you know, if you look at any essence of digital um, coming on, you know, the radar, uh, blockchain is going to be an important part of that. So, again, it's not just about blockchain or cryptocurrency as you think today, um, but really about the broader digital landscape. And, you know, again, um, that comes in many forms of how a member will want to interact with their credit union. Uh, but it's all about digital and that enablement. You talked a little bit about the the groundwork that's been laid. And this has been something that's been blooming for the past couple of years. And I'm wondering about if you can walk us through sort of the collaborative structure of the organization and, and how that sets a table for success. Well, sure. Well, I think, you know, one, there's a common problem that needs to be addressed, and that really goes around digital identity. And, um, you know, I think Julie's made the, the point several times in market that, you know, the Equifax breach really demonstrates that, um, you know, the information that I usually um, use to validate uh, my identity um, being the challenge question are typically information that's stored in, for example, like an Equifax um, situation. So having that digital identity that basically has the same credentials or proof points as if I walked up to a TAS agent with my passport, that's really a common problem now, um, even in the digital world as we know it today. And that speaks to all the breaches and so forth, but it will even become a more increasing problem tomorrow. And that's not unique to a specific credit union that has a specific member um, seg as their, as their primary customer base. That's universal across all credit unions. So again, as a mandate, I think that's the first stop is making sure that that digital identity is addressed as an industry. Um, and so to your point, um, our solution not only directly solves some of the needs of a credit union, but it also solves um, the needs potentially of CUSOs as well, whether it be someone like a CU Direct with indirect auto lending, whether it be a mortgage CUSO or a student lending CUSO. Um, all of those have very similar problems, and we feel like we can offer a solution to help unite. And you're kind of running down a parallel track here in terms of developing solutions and also kind of building support and awareness for CU Ledger, I'm sure. I don't know what you see as the challenges and opportunities in, in both of those and if there's something else you'd add in terms of major responsibilities. Um, great question. You know, well, typically in a new technology, part of the challenge is um, actually creating awareness. Actually, you know, what is the technology and some understanding from a basic level of what it means. Um, you know, we're somewhat fortunate in this timeline where there's a lot of press about blockchain in general, and as you know, certainly even with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, just because of the volatility and some of the recent um, valuation increases in Bitcoin, everybody seems to know what Bitcoin is. Um, starting to get to understand blockchain a little bit underneath. Um, if you look, there's been a couple of studies, actually, uh, one today came out from the financial brand that talked about the uh, retail trends for 2018. Uh, distributed ledger and blockchain was number six. Um, actually, um, Capgemini came out with a recent uh, retail trends um, survey for 2018, and blockchain was, I think, number seven on there. So there's certainly awareness in market. Um, what it's now transitioned to is more of interest. Um, you know, can this actually solve a business problem for me? And if so, then, you know, how does that play out on the, uh, the ROI and economics? Um, so for us, there's still a certainly amount of education, but I would say it's addressing more of the interest in blockchain and what application it might have in their strategy um, as opposed to having to create awareness and then create interest. And, and if you're talking to someone then and, and, and you're trying to give them a little heads up on what this is, what's your, what's your elevator pitch for them to get involved in this? 
Well, first of all, we kind of start off with what it's not, right? It's not Bitcoin. I think that um, just given current state is, is absolutely critical. Um, but then once we talk about basically distributed ledger as a technology, you know, again, the reason to get involved now is if we look in the digital ecosystem and the um, requirements of how a credit union will connect with its member, there are a lot of intermediaries. And all of those, um, while they may be great commercial partners, uh, there's a lot of expense and resources um, dedicated to manage those intermediaries. And for a blockchain, it really gives the opportunity to um, actually eliminate a lot of those um, intermediaries and kind of give control back to the credit unions. So what we say now is the reason to get involved is, you know, everyone has digital strategy on their roadmap of a critical aspect for the next three to five years. Um, that's been proven out, whether it be Callahan or, or, or whoever. So blockchain really has to be a critical one point. So the why now is, you know, not only do you understand it as a technology, but you really have to understand how it fits into your digital roadmap. And you really don't have three to five years to kind of sit on the sidelines and think about it. I was going to say, I mean, this is such a critical time, as you mentioned, with uh, kind of the competition that sprung up with fintechs, non-traditional providers, uh, you know, inside financial services. There's a lot of places sinking a lot of money into R&D. And, and that's always been one of the tough things for credit unions is just not having that economy of scale. And so CU Ledger, you know, offers that, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. So, you know, you made an interesting point in terms of the fintechs and a lot of the investment and, and market entrance. You know, one of the things that I applied the background for the CU Ledger team was actually having a use case that they could prove out. Um, and if you look in 2017, there were literally billions of dollars invested and uh, distributed ledger technology and, you know, a, a high number of them did not actually have a use case they were proving out. So, you know, I want to give kudos to the work done to date. Um, but you actually hit the key on the head, which is scale. And, you know, this is one of the few times in the industry where we actually have a solution that can um, be a, you know, fairly significant um, solution to all of the participants. Um, and again, that affords to scale. So for us, the, the important part of the pilot was actually building out the platform. Um, and then the investment to scale above that, you know, you can add incremental uh, nodes or, or solutions um, at, a, you know, I won't say no cost, but certainly less cost than having to develop a unique platform, a solution for every single business problem. And obviously, you were you know I'm not inside the organization this time, but can you speak a little bit to you know, some of the um, you know challenges, obstacles that this group overcame in putting that together? Uh, I'm sure it, it obviously impressed you to the point that you wanted to to come on board. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, well. You know, I will share some of the industry partners that CU Ledger brought in early on um, really is fascinating. I mean, the um, you take Evernem, for example, there's a great partner of ours. Um, they're actually the facilitators of sovereign identity. And as we think about digital trust, they actually are one of the unique global providers of that. And if you look at the other participants um, in that ecosystem that's sitting with, um, it's really impressive. I mean, literally, there are Fortune 100 companies that were sitting at the same table. Um, so the awareness and the mind share that we have with some of these global commercial partners, you know, kudos to the team because that's um, absolutely fascinating. Um, that's one. I think, secondly, actually getting to a solution and the development of that, um, you know, if you followed, you you know, as a developer, you can't actually even go to a four-year um, university and actually get a, a certification or degree in blockchain, right? So cybersecurity mm -hmm. certainly is coming along. The blockchain is very uh, emerging. So even finding the right resources for development 
um, is equally a challenge. And so yet again, overcoming that and having the right resources and the mind share to be able to develop the solution, you know, that was the second major obstacle. Um, and again, if you followed the uh, the early pilot, it wasn't as if there was, you know, tens of millions of dollars invested. I mean, it was less than a million dollars originally to get to the market research pilot and validation of the first use case. So, you know, very significant um, hurdles overcome for, you know, a very small amount of money. And if you're at this point now, talk talk us through what the process is of uh, kind of creating a solution uh, and, and developing a solution and bringing that to market. Um, sure. Well, you know, now that the pilot um, phase has kind of moved beyond, now it's really about execution and, you know, what I would consider the standard commercial discipline. So, you know, going through product design, uh, making sure we validated our business requirements, making sure the technology is actually vetted out, uh, going through the testing and using of the product for full implementation. You know, now we're moving into a uh, truly commercial uh, framework, if you would. Um, but it's a new company. So if you look at, you know, we're literally just coming through the investor stage. And so for us, um, flawless execution is, um, you know, kind of the next point of order. Um, and we'll continue to follow that model. So if you look at other technologies and the versioning of how they release products, you know, how they utilize um, advisory groups and making sure they've um, taken the voice of the customer into consideration of product prioritization, you know, those are the kind of the disciplines that we'll be implementing as a um, as an emerging company. You mentioned the focus on the on the member on the customer uh, a couple of times here already. That's obviously at the end of the day, that's your number one concern, isn't it? Um, it is. It always has been. And, you know, it's just a uh, philosophical point for me um, as a point to trying to taste a new you know, technology or solution and then trying to find a member that might have interest. You know, if we start with the voice of the member and follow that, um, you know, we'll, we'll always have a high percentage of, of, you know, success. And so for me, if I look at the again, the emerging uh, member and consumer and their expectations and how they want to interact with their credit union, um, I think that's very, very important of how we think about our product solution set and our roadmap, um, as it should be for every credit union or credit union service organization. And the other word that stood out to me that you mentioned is trust. And credit unions have always prided themselves on having those close relationships with members and an understanding that you're trying to work in their best financial interests. And it seems to me that philosophically also that blockchain is, is one great way to underpin that commitment to having that trusted relationship. It is. And, you know, it's ever important now, especially if you look at the challenge that most credit unions have with an aging demographic. You know, everyone is wanting to expand their member base and everyone certainly is wanting to attract more young professionals and millennials. Um, if you think about how even the identity of a credit union is perceived with those communities, um, it's a very important challenge, you know, one even just in branding. And it's fascinating if I think back to some of my previous market research, you know, you could sit in front of a group of young persons and say, you know, who, who's your favorite financial institution? Um, and literally one of their top three would be PayPal. And not even associating that it's not really, you know, a financial institution. It's it's not a credit union. And so just that kind of misguided trust um, was fascinating. And then, of course, they have the negative experiences, whether it be fraud or losses or poor customer service or what have you. And inevitably, if you go back to the DNA of a credit union, you talk about kind of the mission for cause of good, you know, dedication to financial inclusion, passion for member service, um, all of those things clearly resonate in terms of attributes of why someone would want to actually uh, be a member of a credit union. 
And so now that the um, ecosystem of digital is expanding, they're even looking more so for a trusted partner that will take care of them. Um, so, you know, having transactions fly in kind of that nebulous cloud, um, you know, buying gas virtually from my connected car, you know, uh, members are going to be even more um, aligned with, gosh, who can I trust that's going to take care of, of me when something goes wrong? And so I think it's a critical time, but the great news is, again, because of the DNA of a credit union, um, you know, once um, consumers and members understand it, um, they absolutely love it. And every market um, study that I've, uh, you know, been exposed to, um, every one of them says that, um, you know, members want to do business with a credit union. They want to be that partner. It's just a matter of connecting the trusted dots. And you mentioned that you've worked through credit, with credit unions throughout your career. I'm wondering, uh, you know, if, if you are always uh, very tied into the credit union mission, if that's something that uh, got exposed to you uh, through your work association and, and how you've come to appreciate what goes on in this space. You know, it's an interesting journey. I, I started off in my um, financial service career as a correspondent banker. And so I always had, um, you know, kind of um, um, access and exposure and early love to community institutions. And so, um, you know, certainly appreciated kind of that just philosophical belief of, you know, being local, having local empowerment, being missional for a specific customer segment. Um, and early in my career, I met a guy named uh, Tom Sargent with First Tech. And, um, you know, I would attribute some of my nuttiness and, and passion for technology to him. Um, because, again, you know, we were playing around with things like mobile banking even before mobile banking was really well known, um, digital commerce and so forth. Um, and so getting a very early passion about who are, is my member segment and, you know, how do I actually align my services towards them? Um, very passionate about financial inclusion. I grew up as, as a um, I will say very uh, uh, poor youth, we'll put it that way. Mm. And uh, we dealt with a community institution. And my uh, first credit union experience as a member um, actually was through my father at IBEW Local 75 in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so, you know, again, firsthand having experienced just that kind of um, dedication for service. Um, it was established early on, and certainly it's grown. And through the different organizations I've been with, that passion has just continued to grow. Um, and, you know, I will say that's not only just domestic, um, you know, obviously outside of the states, it's referred to more as cooperatives versus credit unions. But, you know, I love even the global passion of just really financial inclusion and making sure everyone gets to participate. And obviously you have a, an affinity for technology. If that's something that was sparked by any uh, particular you know, interest early in your in your life or how you got exposed to that line of thinking. Well, it's interesting. My mother was actually a systems analyst for a uh, regional institution, so I was always kind of exposed to technology, um, you know, some of the early languages of Fortran and COBOL and so forth. Um, and my uh, early years, I aspired to be an engineer. So I, I always had a little bit of that technical flair, acumen, if you would. Um, my kids have uh, affectionately called me Go-Go Gadget, um, pretty much anything <laughs> that comes out that's kind of new. Um, you know, I'm usually a participant. Um, you know, my first PDA was a, a Sharp Wizard um, 36K, I think it was, um, just trying to have an electronic database and, you know, in the early 90s. Um, so, again, I've always been fascinated with technology. Uh, but, again, I, I've always um, really tried to think, well, gosh, what problem does this solve for us? Mm -hmm. um, so, But I think that's kind of where the early flare started was just uh, – biologically some of the DNA and just exposed to it a lot and just in my uh, professional career. 
where do you look for your maybe inspiration and try to tap into your creativity of, of it sounds like you like to push the envelope. You want to know where that edge is. What, what kind of uh, resources or, or uh, um, you know, materials do you, or, or people do you look to to think about what's next? Um, interesting question. You know, I will say I have a um, tremendous um, intellectual curiosity. I usually read um, probably an hour, hour and a half every morning, just keeping up with kind of what's going on globally, um, uh, not only the, the geopolitical aspects, but, but very much oriented in technology. Um, and again, it's fascinating if you think about the um, just the developments that are being brought our way and the um, availability of data, um, things like AI, and just the prevalence of that um, just in our everyday life. I mean, you know, if you've, uh, I'm sure you've experienced, you know, if you go to Facebook and you look at a page and you just happen to um, go back over to Amazon and search on a miscellaneous item and you come back to Facebook, you know, you certainly see you're targeting an uh, ad for that probably within the next three minutes. And just that use of technology tied to consumer behavior fascinates me. And so um, that's just a just a basic thirst I have. Um, typical, you know, high, uh, high-paced ADD guy, I, I laugh, um, you know, John Best and, and I in the same room without adult supervision can be dangerous. So um, de- definitely high energy. Um, but, but I will say I feel it's a very important to be balanced, um, you know, so, so pursuing technology just for the sake of technology and not really having a grounded um, discipline about the problem you're trying to solve and really how you implement it and, um, you know, again, implement those uh, fundamental basics. I think it's important to have a balance. So have a great thirst for technology, but certainly an appreciation of how you implement it and how that needs to uh, you know, be instilled in your day-to-day business. You mentioned the zip zaps before, and and uh, I had the privilege. I think last year there was a cabbie in D.C. who still had one of those that ran it for me, so it was a nice blast from the past. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think a lot of people have difficulty in some of the things that you've mentioned here of, of really getting their arms around what life is going to be like in you know X number of years, whether that's three or five, or whatever the pace of change is. Um, how 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 clear of a view do you have of where we're headed with payments? Well, it's interesting. I think there's a fundamental goal with most of the advancements in payments, and it's very simply to give you time back in your life. And earlier in the year at CUNYGAC, um, we actually had a mobile showcase for MasterCard and included Pepper the Robot. There was actually a demonstration of a wearable for uh, contactless purchase of um, um, your transportation tickets. Um, There was a um, mobile checkout for your um, restaurant ticket, you know, all of those are intended to basically give you back time within the day. And if you look at the the trend in consumer behavior, everyone is wanting to basically get more time to do the things that they like, whether it's be spending time with family, where it's been recreational travel, and everyone just experiences the same, you know, kind of drag on the daily activities. And so where I see this going is really, again, to make life more simple. Um, as we all know, it usually never plays out that way, right? So it only allows <laughs> right. more time for work and so forth. But the intention is there to uh, to add simplicity and convenience. In that sense, are, are there any larger trends that you're seeing that, uh, you know, we should keep an eye out on that coming either you know, this year or coming years? You know, the one that most comes to mind is around loyalty. And um, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Chick-fil-A. Um, you know, um, obviously with um, um, Atlanta Hartsfield going out of power this week, um, you know, and Chick-fil-A delivering the sandwiches, you know, there's probably a lot more brand awareness. 
but in my neck of the woods, Chick-fil-A is absolutely like a cult following. And at lunch, very often, you could have like a 20 to 30-minute wait in the drive-through just to get a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Um, and how this drives to loyalty is Chick-fil-A introduced a mobile app. And I can pre-order on that my food order, so I already have that set up. Um, and as I approach Chick-fil-A, they actually pick me up on a geolocator and say, you know, hey, it looks like you're here. Um, then it prompts to say, which car are you driving? And I prompt for that. And then I drive into a mobile line where I wait for them to actually bring out my food. Um, and the emotional head rush of beating somebody by 30 minutes to get my chicken sandwich is absolutely exhilarating. <laughs> um, so, for, so for me, loyalty is not getting 30 cents off of the chicken sandwich. Loyalty is, gosh, you just gave me 30 minutes back of my time, and, and I'm willing to pay a premium for that. Um, and that kind of experience-based um, um, mentality is kind of threading through all loyalty. So, you know, the days of just necessarily accumulating a lot of points and then waiting for that trip that, you know, I really wasn't going to get the, you know, at the right time or, or you know, right convenience. I, I see those days kind of moving away, and everyone is wanting a better experience. And that could be, you know, help reduce the line time that I wait for a teller, you know, help make that, um, you know, trip that I am going on a little bit better in terms of, uh, you know, room upgrade or something experience rental. So, so that's one. I think, two, the second trend, I think, and this is really important for credit unions, is around consumer lending. And, you know, going back to my payment space, um, you know, everyone is getting back into kind of the traditional credit card game, if you would. Um, and there's a very important trend, especially with young professionals that are really debt adverse. And you're seeing this in consumer lending. You're seeing this in mortgage lending. And, you know, they're almost um, working in a mentality almost of the Depression era mindset where I'm, I am credit adverse and I'm really worried about getting in the same traps that I saw my family getting into and so I'm almost using that as a cash management tool, like a small business. Um, and the importance of that is before I might have a payment um, product that would give me you know, a $30,000 line at a 0% teaser rate. Um, today's mentality is I may want to actually revolve um, you know, around a, a purchase for a set of tires or tuition, but I don't want to do that for every day. And so this principle of lending by transaction or being able to control the point of transaction um, is a very definite trend as well. So loyalty and, and consumer lending would be the two that I would point out. Uh, very good insights there. Very good insights. And if I could tie back to uh, you know, CU Ledger, we're looking ahead. We're on the verge of 2018 at this point as, our, as we're speaking. What should we be looking for out of CU Ledger in the coming year? Um, so again, I think digital identity, the first use case and um, implementation um, for the call center uh, fraud product identical. I think that's definitely the first. Um, you know, again, we'll also be moving forward with smart contract and cross-border as well. Um, you know, those are the three that we'll be most focused on. Um, clearly, again, a lot of time and attention making sure there's clear awareness and helping them understand how this fits in their roadmap. Um, but again, I think we want to do three things, you know, really well as opposed to trying to do 30 things marginally. Is that something that you've learned through the years and in, in watching, uh, you know, through your organizations develop products and and uh, kind of gain a leg up? Um, it, it is, and you'll appreciate. Uh, in fact, I just called this individual the other day. Uh, the former um, CIO of Visa went on to be the CEO of PayPal. And uh, during my Visa days as a mentor, he told me something that was very um, um, marking on me. Um, his statement started off, John, you're not the smartest person I know. Um, and I was kind of crushed and taken back about it, and I wasn't sure where he was going with the, uh, with the comment. Uh, but he said, you know, not everyone can execute. And that really um, hmm. set out for me a just mission of having a balance between, 
creativity and ideation, but um, execution. And whether that's been in, you know, my financial services stint with, um, you know, retail commercial banking, whether that's been in my stint in processing or, or, you know, payments, I just think that's always a discipline. And, and I think most of us has been on the other side in an environment where that wasn't taken into consideration and there wasn't a balance between creativity and execution. Um, we all know the pains that that brings. I saw a speaker discuss that recently, and, and just that that's an art form, execution. I don't know if there are any principles that you rely on as to guide yourself to make sure that that's where your focus is. There are, and, you know, if I look at the basics, one, I think, you know, I'll tie a lot of it into expectations. Um, so that's starting with um, going back again to that voice of the customer, and that customer could be your in-member consumer, that customer could be an internal constituent. Um, but really understanding what that um, goal is you're trying to solve, one, um, and then being very disciplined around the business requirements in terms of how you're going to solve that. Um, if you've got that agreed upon on the front end, I think that, again, adds to a probability of success. Um, and then absolutely being militant upon the execution. Um, you know, sometimes that may mean that you can't meet a desired timeline because you don't want to sacrifice the elements of testing um, and user acceptance, for example. Uh, that might mean that you can't put in that enhancement at the last minute because you might sacrifice the quality environment. Um, you know, those are the disciplines that if you've measured appropriately on the front end, um, you usually don't have to make sacrifices on the back end. Anything else that comes to mind in terms of your your approach to this role and, and what your view is on CU Ledger that we should let people know about? Well, I think culture is a team, and this is something I've been very appreciative of the rest of the CU Ledger team. You know, humility goes a long way. And I think just that, um, you know, grounded respect of being mindful of members and what, um, you know, our customers, internal customers, credit unions and, and credit union services organizations are trying to accomplish. I think that humility goes a long way. And I, I think you'll see that permeate our, our country uh, culture through everyone. Um, so I think that's one. I think the second is helping everyone get through the intimidation. Um, and so that means a lot of hand-holding in the early conversations of taking the time to explain what this is, how the pieces fit, and not moving all the way to, well, let's just go ahead to the implementation and just trust us, right? We want to take the time and be very mindful of making sure everyone is intentional about why we're doing this and, and again, for expectations, what we're trying to accomplish. So I think going about it with humility and then taking the time to be mindful that, you know, we're really walking through the journey as a partner, I think those are the two important cultural aspects. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.